0: Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. For September, the theme of this podcast will be all about back-to-school movies. Since many of us will have school virtually from home, I thought it would be fun to talk about some underrated university and high school movies this month. For today, I will be talking about the 1973 film American Graffiti, directed by George Lucas, starring Richard Dreyfuss and Ron Howard. And with me virtually is my friend Jamal.
1: Thank you so much for having me here, Emma.
0: No problem. So for those of you who haven't seen this film, American Graffiti takes place in one night on the last day of summer of 1962 and focuses on four teenage boys embarking on adulthood and enjoying their last night of freedom by cruising the streets, meeting girls, and going to Mel's drive-in, all while listening to some of the biggest songs of the decade. We first follow Kurt, played by Richard Dreyfuss, who is unsure about leaving his small town for university in the morning, and thinks he should stay behind. Meanwhile, Steve, played by Ron Howard, wants desperately to leave the town and decides to break up with his high school girlfriend, convincing himself that everyone should enter university single. Toad, played by Charles Martin Smith, on the other hand, cruises the street looking for girls for the first time and John, played by Paul Lamatt, the cool drag racer, accidentally gets stuck with an 11-year-old in his car. So, Jamal, what do we think of American Graffiti?
1: As coming-of-age stories set over the course of a specific time period go, it was definitely one of the better ones I've seen in a very long time. I thought it was a fantastic film. Yeah. Um, I thought that in terms of George Lucas movies is one of the better ones, that's for sure. Um, The fact that he did this and Star Wars, like, two completely separate, but in some ways similar films is just mind-blowing to me.
0: I know, I hadn't I heard about this film. I find it's very underrated for the classic coming-of-age kind of trope teenage films, but I thought it was executed and constructed really well, laying out all the characters and then having them change completely in just one night.
1: Yeah, exactly. The overall, like, every single character had their arc, and the way that each arc was developed was just so, like... It was so intricately done. Like, you get just enough time with each character that, like, you're satisfied with where they end up in the end. And I don't know. I thought that just as a character piece as a whole, it was brilliant.
0: And I found them to be very relatable. And even though this movie is, like, almost 50 years old, I still found it pretty up-to-date. Maybe we don't have, like, Mel's drive-in or those kinds of things... But the characters were very familiar. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, um, for sure. Uh, One of the biggest things that I noticed as well is exactly what you said, that each character stands out in their own ways, very relatable characters. Like we have friends that are each of these characters like in our normal day, right? Like John, he's a player type and a car guy and he's always like, out trying to like pick up girls and he ends up getting stuck with someone that he doesn't necessarily want to be with (laughs) uh terry's trying to prove his worth all the time through this new car and he's lying to this girl in order to try to impress her like it's stuff that we've all done it's stuff that we've all been through so the fact that it still stands up today so well because of the characters it's just it's one of those things that makes this movie so great
0: Yeah, and I like how it started off with music instantly, the 50s song Rock Around the Clock Tonight, and I was like listening to an interview with George Lucas, and he was saying how he considers this movie to be a musical, and when he was pitching it to the castmates like Ron Howard, he told them it's going to be a musical, and Ron Howard was like, I don't sing. And he's like, don't worry, nobody is going to sing in this, but every scene has a song in it because the radio uh that wolfman jack has is always playing in the background in each scene which i thought was really cool
1: between a couple scenes where wolfman jack is playing and then it cuts to a scene uh with the pharaohs <laughs> the gang and they're like oh yeah. my god i love wolfman jack like this guy's amazing and just every single character <laughs> at some point yeah. makes a comment that kind of brings it all to the very end which is Phenomenal.
0: Yeah. So I think maybe we should talk about each character's different storyline first. So, do you want to start with Kurtz?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Hold on. I took some notes for this one. Uh, Kurtz honestly might have been my favorite arc o- overall. Like, he's this guy that doesn't really know 100. what he wants to. Yeah, because it's a fear that we've all had. Like, he's fresh out of high school, he doesn't really know what he wants to do yet, and everybody's pressuring him into going into university or pressuring him to do something that he's still on the fence about. Um, And just his story is a play-by-play, like how it goes right from the beginning, and he, I think he was explaining to Steve that he was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go, and Steve immediately goes, what are you talking about, everything that's been building up? And you get that throughout the whole film, from his teachers commenting on it to uh, even when he gets involved with the pharaohs, how they're like, yeah, like, you're going to be a great pharaoh. Like Can't wait for you to join the gang, that kind of thing. And yeah, just the way that it all ties into the end was so well done. But like he, he's everybody. Everybody's had that thought of, I don't know for sure what I want to do. All my friends are going to university. I don't know if I want to take that time off yet and how everybody at the time frowned on people taking a gap year, even though it's somewhat normalized in today's standard. At the same time, there's still almost like this taboo to taking a gap year. Like, oh, you're not going straight to university? Really? So I do think that having a character where that is predominantly his, like, sort of the thing that he needs to conquer through the film, was a really smart move, which makes it almost a timeless story.
0: Yeah, and that pressure is still here today, like you said, with the gap years, but also knowing what you want to do at 18, and how when you grow up in a small town like that, he's surrounded with people like that teacher he meets at the dance, who is, like, very sketchy, but anyway, he meets this teacher at the dance that he knows, And he says, oh, yeah, when I went to university, I got drunk and then I only lasted one semester there. So it's almost like Kurt is setting himself up because of other people are setting himself up for this disaster that's going to happen. Like these people would leave the town thinking they'd embark on this great journey and then they'd end up back in the town. And I can see that he doesn't want to fail. So he just decides in his head at the beginning of the movie that he's just not going to even try it but then through his whole story he's the most outgoing character doing different things chasing some girl he sees in a white t-bird thinking that she's his true love but he's also and then like hanging out with the pharaohs and doing things out of his comfort zone that steve isn't really doing steve wants to leave at the beginning but he's just playing it safe the whole time
1: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and I I totally forgot about the whole White T-Bird scenario, which is such a detriment on my part because that that story arc was so funny. Um, just the way that they interplay it between all the characters, and they're like, oh, yeah, I know her. And how every single person has a different story about her. Yeah.
0: So his ex-girlfriend tells him that she, he, she's... Uh, somebody's wife and then the pharaohs tell him that she's a
1: prostitute
0: these all these mixed messages and he just wants to find her
1: yeah exactly Ah, it's so good and then at the very end um it's still like not gonna give anything away in case anybody hasn't seen it but it's still
0: no that's okay spoilers are fine
1: (laughs) okay perfect i can go all holds barred um (laughs) Yeah, just for the very end, for him to have, like, finally this phone call with her. and We don't even know who the hell she is.
0: We don't even get to find out her name.
1: Exactly, which I thought was such a brilliant play.
0: I love how when he gets on the plane, and he's decided to go to university, and then when he's sitting on the plane, he sees a white bird on the road. And I just felt like I wanted to hit myself, that feeling, because we've all felt that.
1: It's kind of like letting something go and, like, trying not to look back. But at some point, after you've already made your decision, you're moving on, it comes across your path again. you're like, did I go wrong? Did I do something that I shouldn't have done? Did I make the wrong call?
0: (laughs) And I think because his story is the strongest, but because his motives are the strongest. Because his motives are everything we've gone through before in our own lives and how not just getting, you know, a girl or not being single anymore, but the decision of what you want to do with your life. And at the end of the film, we see this kind of glimpse of what all the four people are doing after, and we find out that he's a writer in Canada, which I thought was funny.
1: Oh, that, that ending, just that was such a punch to, get to the gut, because they don't even show what happens to the characters. It's just in text, uh, blank died from a drunk driver, blank went MIA. Like, I'm like, what? You're just going to leave us with that? It's like we spend an entire night with these characters and sort of building the characters up and getting to know them over the course of, like I said, like a full night just to have in text, yeah, this person's dead, this person's missing, this person works for a firm, and this person's a writer. And I'm like, come on, that hurt.
0: It really did, because you're so attached to them in this one night, and we don't see any flashbacks. There's no, like, we don't get any glimpse of them before this day, and this is all we kind of have to go on, but we like them all, and we're all on their side.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: I was just going to say, I think Steve's storyline was my least favorite. I don't know about yours. That's played by Ron Howard.
1: Yes, yeah, that's right. Uh which I also didn't recognize at first until it started to grow on me, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, this guy directed Da Vinci Code. <laughs> um, yeah, I that was probably the weakest story for they me. I was so young. It was crazy. Oh my god. Just watching them all, I'm like from where you were then to where you are now, how they all were fairly unknown at the time, just getting their footing up. And now like Harrison Ford, Ron Howard, like it's crazy.
0: I was just going to say, this movie's made in 1973, and Richard Dreyfuss looks like a baby, and then two years later, he's in Jaws with, like, the full beard. <laughs> just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I was like, what happened during those two years? Like, were you divorced seven times and got an alcohol addiction? Like, what <laughs> the hell? God, that was just, like, watching him, and I'm like you're in jaws (laughs) that's crazy yeah um
0: he was really good in this though i he's my favorite
1: he was great he was really good like in terms of acting ability alone he was probably the best actor on screen like yeah i thought that was like that was just incredible
0: and he even blended in well with the pharaohs, even though he's kind of the nerd in their group. It just kind of worked in his mannerisms and the way he... Like, his charisma kind of... He has great charisma when he's in the cars with people. When he sees the white T-bird, I was smiling. When he was on the phone at yeah. the phone yeah. booth, I was, like, smiling for him. And when he sees her in the backseat of the car, I was, like, felt like I saw the girl, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just like the energy that he brought to his performance i think radiated to his fellow actors as well like anybody he was on screen with just they went so far up with like every interaction with him every conversation any reaction to the things that he would do like then uh when the pharaohs get him to uh go mess with the cop and then they blow the cops' back wheels off, and they're all <laughs> laughing their asses off and they're driving away, just having a crazy time. It was like you felt that energy that they had. And I think with another actor, you wouldn't quite have gotten that. Like it was just it was such an no, electric it, performance.
0: Yeah, and he's definitely now seeing this, he's become one of my favorite actors because. I don't see anyone else working in that role. Like, a pretty boy like Brad Pitt or somebody like that, it wouldn't have worked. I don't know. He has some... Maybe it's because it's somebody you would see in your life. He doesn't look like a movie star, per se. But he was... Like, if Ron Howard was in the role, it wouldn't have worked.
1: Exactly, yeah. Let's talk about Steve for a bit. Because I think that one definitely needs a bit of a conversation there.
0: Okay. Okay. So Steve, it basically sets up with him being really cocky to uh, Kurt saying, you know, you want to stay in this turkey town, you should have to get out of here, spread your wings, blah, blah, blah. And he's decided that in his last night, while he's still in town, he's going to break up with his girlfriend, played by Cindy Williams, and he's going to start fresh, but he's not going to totally break up with her. He just says they should see other people which is a real slap in the face for her. And then he's just kind of moping around the rest of the film.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think the way that they started him off set up for a really good arc that I don't think they took the time to really put together. Um, Because he started as just this total asshole and he's all cocky, as you said. And he wants to try out this open relationship as an excuse to, like, see other people and sleep around, that kind of thing. And I guess it just never never really goes anywhere until the very end after he's been broken up with, after he learns that she's hanging out with another guy and he gets super jealous after, like, all of that. Um, I... Do you think that in the beginning of the film, though, because he was like, oh, you want to stay in this turkey town, you don't want to go away to university and have fun, I think that he, like, maybe his reasoning behind wanting to break up with uh, his girlfriend was just, that was, like, his last tie to this town. Like, after he's out, he's out. And since she's staying behind, he's like, well, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with the people here. And then, obviously, as the story progresses, yeah.
0: I think you could be right. Or I was thinking maybe by keeping, like, telling Richard Dreyfus or keep telling Kurt that, he was, like, overcompensating for himself and trying to convince himself that it was good to leave. That was what I thought, maybe.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point, too. Yeah, I thought just overall, though, like, Obviously Ron Howard was great, but his writing and the way that they kind of took his character and developed it just it was it was fine. It wasn't necessarily bad or anything. It was fine. It just wasn't nearly as interesting or as intriguing as the rest of the characters. Like I was always yeah. happy when I saw John on screen with his arc with the 11-year-old. I thought that was so funny and so well done. I thought like kurt's story was great even terry like just this guy that's trying to impress a girl by lying through his teeth even down to the fact about this car just so well done and so relatable on pretty much every level steve i didn't really get that because they kind of alienated him from the beginning
0: no yeah and he's not around I guess he's only around Toad, but he's not really around any other people. It's just him and his girlfriend, and then it's just him alone. And there isn't much to strive for him. Like, it's just, he's just kind of there. And every time his scenes came, I wasn't really happy. I was like, I want to get on to the other characters. I want to see Mackenzie Phillips again with John. And
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, again, I think that arc overall about- is fine, but yeah. And yes, I want to talk about John. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, I loved that arc so much. That was so good. It was, it was for me, it wasn't the best arc storytelling wise. I think that definitely goes to Kurt. But goddamn if it wasn't the most entertaining and just yeah. the most fun. Like, between his street yeah. racing and. This relationship that he builds with Mackenzie Williams and, like, just all the trouble they get into along the way to the point where the girls pull up to, next to them and throw a water balloon at Mackenzie Williams, so they flatten their tires. Oh, it was, it was just <laughs> so much fun and such a great escape from all the other chaos going around. Yeah. Well... I I say that lightly because mm-hmm. there's still the chaos in the sense that, like, Harrison Ford is chasing after him, trying to beat him in a race for fastest person in the city. <laughs> but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you think?
0: I found him, well, I at the beginning, I thought he was going to be this big jerk. And I thought he was really resentful of Kurt for going to school because there's a line at the beginning where he's like, well, you know, us guys don't get to go to university. And I thought, oh, is he going to be this? I thought he was going to be the antagonist. And then when he's driving in his like really neon yellow car, (laughs) that already sets up the humor. And then him driving around 10th street, which is, I guess, where you pick up girls. And when he goes up to this one car and they're like, oh yeah, would you like you know, our sister wants to go in your car and it ends up being 11-year-old girl. That was so funny. And her comedic, um, I think her character's name is Carol, her comedic, like, pauses and the way she delivers her lines is so funny. There's this one line when Harrison Ford is threatening um, John Milner and she's like, you know, I'm uglier than your car. And then she's like, oh, oops, that came out wrong. Like, how she executed... That was really funny where she says to him, you know, what are you worried about with me being in your car? It's not like I'm going to rape you. Like, these things that I don't think anybody said those days, I thought they were really funny.
1: Yeah, holy, that was good. Um, Yeah, I thought her character was just really intriguing as this girl that just got tied up in this, like, car with the guy because she just wanted to be out and have a fun night, which is more or less exactly what happened. Yeah. And he was just trying to get rid of her along the way. It's like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, what's your address? And she's like, oh, you think I'm dumb, don't you? And he's like, uh, <laughs> no, not not at all.
0: <laughs> Their chemistry was so good together.
1: It was done in such, like, I don't know. For me, it's really flip of a coin with it because you could ask somebody and be like, oh, that was weird. Like, it was, like, this man and 11-year-old girl and there was, like, this weird chemistry. And I'm like, I thought it was done tastefully. I thought that it could have <laughs> gone down such a different road and been so much worse. And I think that the way that that situation was handled overall in that story, I thought, honestly, George Lucas did a really good job with that one. Um, Because, again, it could have gone so wrong and there's so many things they could have done that could have gotten like just so badly for Lucas and the cast in the aftermath especially right now in the Me Too culture but I thought that overall it was handled fairly exceptionally.
0: I think also because he he looked older than 18 but I think he was playing 18 but I guess that mentality too and I don't know, you just kind of warm toward him. Like, he tries to be the cool James Dean kind of figure, but he's really nice and thoughtful, and he's funny.
1: Yeah, oh my god, his comedic timing as well. It was so good. And he does get his little James Dean moments too. Like, he does get to be the cool guy in moments Mm -hmm. where it's like, he, you know, like when he saves uh, Terry, when he finds the a uh, car in the, like, hidden away in the garage after those guys carjacked him. And they're beating the shit out of him. And he just, like, pulls the car over and goes over and fights the two guys away. While yeah. Terry is just, yeah. like, drunk and throwing up and making a mess of himself.
0: <laughs> and how nice of a guy, you know, helping out the nerd. Usually in those American movies, they just show, you know, the hot kind of jock guy being mean to the nerd but he's so nice to him
1: exactly well like look at back to the future as well right like sure like it's a high or it's a time travel movie and it's kind of sci-fi but it's also very much sort of a coming of age story and a period piece and it goes through like those steps of high school but at the same time it does have that nerd character that's always getting picked on by the jocks and always like all the way up till the end like getting his ass pushed around and, like, not willing to fight back until he gets that push from our main character. In this case, the nerd is supported throughout the film. It's not like you need to convince him or anything. Mm. He does stuff throughout the movie that's like, yeah, that's... There you go. That's how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. That's how somebody would realistically act in that scenario.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, not wanting to go back to Kurt, but... We don't really see him around uh, Terry and John, do we?
1: Nope. Uh, He's really only just around Mm. Steve, other than the very beginning and the very end.
0: Should we talk about Toad?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: So Toad, and his real name is Terry.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Terry the Toad. (laughs) Terry the Tiger, that was it. Oh, what a character.
0: (laughs) 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 I just want to say when we open up this scene of the movie after uh, we see Steve and we see Kurt, he literally comes into the screen on his Vespa and he crashes right away in the background. And I right away thought, oh, I know this guy's going to be really funny. (laughs) And the amount of grease in his hair, I don't think, I think he uses the whole bottle
1: yeah, he's just got, like... He's the
0: really greasiest guy I've ever seen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, boxes and boxes of grease just stashed away in his basement every night before he goes out. Just like, okay, let's go for another. Yeah, holy... The men's costume, like, ah, it was disgusting, but it was so well done. That is <laughs> it was just so reflective on his character, too, right? Like, it's... This guy isn't very well put together, taken care of. His fashion sense is wacky as hell, but he's also a car guy, obviously, from the way that he reacts to Steve's new car. He's like, he's one of the boys. He's like one of their number one friends. Like he's kind of everybody's go-to. He's the comedic relief, obviously, but he does have his moments. Like he was a good character, but everything is set up in that, opening shot
0: and it kind of goes downhill from there so he does pick up a girl her name's debbie and she's usually around like guys that just use her and she asks him to steal liquor (laughs) and that was one of my favorite scenes where he's standing in front of the liquor store and he's asking people you know first he goes up to one guy and he's like he doesn't have the courage to ask. So he just asks what the time is. And then this other drunk guy comes and he steals his money and runs out with the liquor. And then he goes in himself. And I like how he kind of puts the liquor, what he wants in there, but he asks for, you know, pen and this and that. And then he just kind of puts in, Oh, and they'll have that. And the guy's like, so, uh, where's your ID? And he's like, Oh, well, I left it in the car. But I left my car somewhere. I don't know where my car is. And then he leaves. And then he finally sees this other guy while coming out of the store. And that guy says, "Yeah, sure." You know, Toad or Terry gives him the dollar, and and the guy steals the alcohol. And then he catches it. I thought he was gonna drop it when the the um, burglar steals it. (laughs) And uh, then he finally gets the liquor. Yeah,
1: I I loved it with that last guy. (laughs) He comes running out, throws in the liquor, it takes <laughs> off, and then the store owner comes running out with his gun and starts shooting at him. And Toad's, like, running and tripping over his feet to get back to the car.
0: And he can't handle his liquor.
1: As as we learn uh, later in the... F-
0: I liked Debbie, though. She was really nice to him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked how throughout the film... She's kind of played up as, like, she's, well, obviously, like, Tota's first into her because, like, she's super attractive and she's really charming and funny. And then as the film goes on, he's, like, she keeps challenging him and challenging him to do more stuff. Like, at first she gets in the car and starts asking really technical questions and he's, like, oh, okay, okay, yeah and then once they get in she's like okay can you peel out <laughs> he's like can can i what? she's like can you peel the car out like can you do a peel out <laughs> he's like uh yes. yeah and from that point on it just gets crazier and crazier can you steal can you steal liquor what you don't have a dollar fine i'll give you my dollar men are supposed to pay but here's the dollar they go to they go to hook up in the forest and she's like it's fine like they're not going to come back as people are walking past them <laughs> There's the possibility of a serial killer and she's like, hey, let's go see him. Let's go find him. <laughs> yeah. And it just keeps going and killer. going. The goat killer <laughs> kills his victims and dismembers them and <laughs> leaves a goat head at the scene.
0: <laughs> and Steve just pops up out of the bushes.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, brilliant. And then at the end she has her like oh, but I was always into motorcycles. And he has his motorcycle parked off to the side. He's like, why didn't you say that from the start?
0: Yeah, because he's told her that he rode horses and he hunts. (laughs) Oh, my God. He just humiliated himself.
1: But again, like that's like with the rest of the characters. One of the characters that, with the exception of Steve, we've all been there. Like we all have a crush on somebody and we're willing to lie through our teeth to their face in order to get them to like us back. And then obviously when you start getting called out for it, it's like, uh, uh, ain't dig this hole deeper and deeper for you with more lies and more lies.
0: Yeah. And then you're never, you're never getting out.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep. Not till you're at rock bottom grasses, glasses, cracked blood coming from your nose, car gone. (laughs) alcohol poisoning (laughs) that you're like by the way I lied about that stuff
0: and he's actually not it's not even his car he's using Steve's car borrowing it and when Steve says oh so where's my car oh well I have it in the garage I'm keeping it safe and she's like yeah our car got stolen too (laughs) he's lying to Steve too not just to Debbie
1: yeah Uh, yeah that was really good
0: Yeah, everyone has their flaws in this movie. Nobody's perfect, and I like that.
1: That's really what I did, like, is that, yeah, every single character has their flaws, and none of them are, like, like they're attractive people, but it's not like they cast, like, Brad Pitt and, like, McConaughey and just, like, these big names, super gorgeous actors and stuff. These were relatively, like, other than Harrison Ford, obviously. Um, But these were just, like, these really sort of unknown, like, coming-up actors. None of them were, like, 10 out of 10 A-plus actors. And that's what I really liked. It was a fairly small film. It was one of George Lucas's first movies. He didn't have a huge budget for it, so... He was like, let's just get some talent in here.
0: They were people you'd actually see in your high school. And I was saying this in uh, my last episode, of how, when did... High school movies become really predictable and stereotypical because I was saying, was it the early 2000s where you just see a skinny blonde girl on screen and you right away know she's going to be the bitch and you see the person in glasses and you right away know they're going to be the nerd. And I thought for the 70s, this was more modern than a lot of the early 2000s, even now films like Mean Girls or... Um, Princess Diaries or any of those early teenage movies where, you know, the nerd is the nerd and the popular person is the popular person and they never intertwine.
1: Mm-hmm. I was going to say Mean Girls is definitely the one that comes to mind when thinking about that, how it's like, yeah, that that's, I think, the victim and that's what really started off through the popularity of that movie back when it came out in 2004, I think. Um, yeah. But... Yeah. And from there, like everybody's like, oh, well, Mean Girls did it, so we can do it too. And it kind of became the standard, which is when it's nice to get like, yeah. movies now that go sort of back to the 70s feel, where these are actual people you'd meet. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, it's definitely refreshing to go back to these older movies and be like, ah, this is what it used to be like. It's not like... Still casting people that are older than high school, but at the same time, it's like we'll we'll take it, we'll take it.
0: Yeah, or they cast older people, but they look young. I was looking up Richard Dreyfuss, and he was twenty six here, and he looks like he's fifteen.
1: Oh my God, what? (laughs) He's twenty six in this, or when the movie was filmed. No way. Ron
0: Howard was 18. Yeah, I just looked it
1: up. That's insane. No, that's why he could grow a beard for Jaws. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: why <laughs> it took it took two years to grow that beard, Jamal.
1: Yep, <laughs> I mean longer than some people. Like, congrats, he actually beard. did it. <laughs> Yeah, it started with his little peach fuzz, and then it just went from there. <laughs> After Jaws was done, he was like, oh, thank God, I can shave it all off.
0: <laughs> Shaves it off, then yeah. he has to grow it again yeah. it's like, oh, for Close is, Encounters.
1: This is two years of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure.
0: Oh, man. Did you think the dialogue was realistic? And organic.
1: Um, for the most part, yes. I'd say some of the dialogue definitely felt a little bit upplayed. Um, they used they used a lot of slang terms, which were I that was bitchin. one of the things bitching. <laughs> that was one of the things that I really appreciated about the movie because like that's their slang terms for a reason. We have said those things. Um... And, I don't know, I thought that, yeah, there were definitely parts of the dialogue that were so overplayed, and just so exaggerated, but for the most part, it did feel really natural, especially for the time, right? Like, it's set at the end of 19, or summer 1962. Like, it's, it feels very 60s. But, like, teenager 60s, not, like, Italian job. (laughs)
0: Well, I was actually thinking about that now that you bring that up is how in 10 years, so the movie was made in 1973, but it takes place in 1962, and how distinct those two different decades are with the music, with the clothes. And I was thinking if something was made in 2000, would it's all blended in now? There's no distinct decades anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think like from 2000 to 2010, we had some crazy shit but like after that it all i agree it kind of blended in whereas yeah the 50s 60s 70s 80s the 90s like those were all 80s. such pff, the 80s Yeah. Uh, but they were all such distinct like different periods they all had their own style their music like the 60s was sort of the end of the jazz age right like you had coltrane you had miles davis like you had all these guys but you also start getting into more like the funk wave which is where like the 70s and 80s come in and then like acid jazz and And all that But yeah, yeah, and John
0: even mentions that I think in one scene when he's talking to Carol and she's listening to the Beach Boys and he doesn't like the Beach Boys and he's like ah rock and roll died when Buddy Holly died and just those references or I think somebody referenced JFK all these important current events, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I thought in terms of the way that Lucas built his set pieces and like made it feel like the 60s and like crazy huge car culture, and he had the music playing from beginning to end, he had the cool cars, he had the outfits, all the costume design was brilliant the school dances and all the swing dancing like it was just so immaculate and i thought that yeah like the way that lucas really embodied a 60s period musical was brilliantly done to say the least
0: yeah I kind of wish it got Oscars, and he had gotten
1: one. I know. Wells, yeah, which nominated is, for.
0: I thought they were really good.
1: Hmm. Well, was nominated for five Oscars, including, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, best picture. Uh, yeah, best uh, actress in a supporting role, best director, uh, best uh, writing, screenplay, story, and best film editing. Uh, but it did win a couple Golden mm-hmm. Globes, which was nice. So it got a little recognition there when the Golden Globes weren't nearly as big, but it got some, it got some Oscar buzz. That's good. Mm-hmm.
0: Should we talk about um, Kurt meeting Wolfman Jack or he pretends he's not Wolfman Jack, but then he is?
1: I love that scene.
0: Be- I love that scene.
1: Between that and Harrison Ford singing in the so, car, that might have been my favorite scene in the movie. Um, that it was just such a, like, wholehearted scene and just so pivotal and important to the character and all of his motives, and, like, just... It, it was such a touching scene. And just, I think, after the crazy night that Curtis had, it was just, like, a really nice breath of fresh air where he's meeting somebody that basically controls the whole town through his radio and even at that point the guy pretends to be somebody he's not and it's it's just such a well put together scene and the dialogue is done so nicely like i it's up there for me how about you
0: yeah yeah he was finally himself with wolfman jack and i felt like he could you know, he wanted, he went to Wolfman Jack to find the girl in the white T-bird and asked uh, him to sh- um, read on the radio, like, you know, if anyone knows who this white T-bird girl is, please call Kurt, or they didn't have cell phones then, so I guess call this phone booth. But I thought the way he came in and then. You know, he didn't know which way to go, which is realistic, because sometimes they show in movies, you know, you just meet characters right away, but he was unsure about where exactly to go in the room. And then Wolfman Jack points him to the words, him. And then, you know, he's eating popsicles in there, and he offers him a popsicle. It was very natural. Yeah. And when he was saying, when Wolfman Jack... Yeah, when Wolfman Jack was saying, you know, I can't leave this town anymore... I'm too old now, but you still have a chance. And I think that's when I realized that he was probably going to decide to leave and he needed to talk to somebody about it.
1: And I think it really was a smart play for him to get advice to essentially, the, in this sense, like the god of George Lucas's universe he's created. Like this is somebody that brings the whole town together and everybody listens into his radio At many points, every single character brings him up or are listening to him and, like, singing along to the radio station or whatever song he's playing. So really, like, to be able to listen to this, like, Messiah character for the advice that he really needed throughout the film, Mm -hmm. not, like, the issue with this girl that he's looking for, but the issue of does he go to university or not. That, I think, was just... It was such a smart play to
0: have. Yeah, his was my favorite storyline. I think my other favorite scene, well, I liked any scenes with John and Carol, especially when they're trashing that person's car and, like, (laughs) at the stoplight and having fun. (laughs) That was really funny. And I guess the ending, when Kurt is talking to the girl in the white T-bird who refuses to give her name even though he's asking.
1: <laughs> so it just leaves this mystery going, and I'm like, okay. Hey, yeah. Where's the sequel? <laughs> yeah.
0: There was a sequel, but he's but he's not in it, though, Richard Dreyfus.
1: Mm-hmm. Who directed that? Uh, I'm going to look it up really quick. Of course, it was done by Bill yeah. Norton. I don't think did... it was... Yeah, so it was directed by Bill Norton, who went on to do Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But the film was directed in 1979, okay. so what is that? Seven years after. Okay. Uh, Ron Howard uh, does return. So the characters of like John and Steve and Carol do return. Uh, Toad is back in it. But the only one that doesn't come back is... Um,
0: Kurt. He was Kurt. probably big from jaws he didn't want to go back and do that <laughs> didn't want to shave his beard again after exactly
1: all <laughs> <laughs> after two years of growing yeah. it it was like I'm can't, yeah. i can't do this again i'm keeping it
0: yeah was there anything you didn't like about the movie i can't i really liked all of it
1: i yeah for the most part i thought this was a really good movie um There were a couple sequences where I thought the cinematography and the editing was a little bit choppy and, like, some of the lighting, I think, was a little bit overdone. um, Where it looked like they had the lighting set so it looks like it's starting to be morning and sunrise, but the night was still dark. Like, it was still a black sky, and I was kind of like, that's... It's not really working. But, yeah, overall, I thought that this was a really strong movie, and as... For what it was, which is a character piece and, I guess, quote, a musical unquote, and just a really cool, like, overnight coming-of-age film, I thought it was about as perfect as one could be.
0: Yeah. The only thing I didn't really like, but it was just because of the times, was besides Carol, how pathetic the females were in this movie. Like, they were not going off to university. They were just wanting a boyfriend and moping about. And it just kind of made me sad that they didn't get any storylines.
1: Yeah, I think, because we got a lot of screen time with Carol and a lot of screen time with Debbie. But other than that, we didn't really get anything. Like, most of the females were really just there to, like... I I don't know. It wasn't... Awesome. Um hold on, I actually took a note wow. about that. Um yeah, so for the most part Yeah, they were the women driving women in movie. they were driving in cars catcalling John and it was that's pretty much yeah. it back in a time where it was okay to get into a stranger's car and hang out for a night. <laughs> but I Oh no, know. I th- yeah. I thought it was kinda weak. And Lori wasn't the best built either and She had her moments, like, she had a lot of really strong moments, like, when she's telling Steve off at the dance, for example, but otherwise Mm -hmm. she's pretty sidelined unless she needs to look depressed. Yeah.
0: I was wondering why, when they were doing the drag race, when John Milner and uh, Harrison Ford's character was doing the drag race, why uh, Lori was in the car, because I thought in drag races usually there were no passengers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that too, but, I mean, it's a 60s drag race between, like, this man who's trying to beat a teenager. So I don't think that they really care about the whole no passenger (laughs) rule. It's like, this is a street race, I'm going to prove that I'm faster than you. Yeah, I
0: did not like his drawl.
1: Oh my god, yeah. Oh, it took so much getting used to.
0: And his cat, like his farmer's hat.
1: (laughs) because well, i look at him and i see her or i see han solo i see indiana jones what as they we all do
0: it, they mm,
1: uh, no not really their
0: car flipped and it started like blowing up Mhm. and she just comes out with no cuts or any scrapes
1: yeah at least harrison ford's character was a little bad like there was no cuts or scrapes, but his shirt was torn. So clearly, he's been through it. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I don't know. That that was just something that I just kind of accepted at that point because I was like, whatever. I'll I'll let it go. Yeah. It was unrealistic as hell, but like the whole idea of drag racing in the middle of the night, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, it's so cartoonish, but it's, it, it it's fun to kind of play along with.
0: I was a bit skeptical when I first put it in to watch because I thought, oh, 1970s, I was thought, is it going to like still hold up? But I thought it, it did hold up. I, and it's now one of my favorite coming of age films.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I... If anything, I think I went in with some high expectations because not a lot of people talk about this film, but the people that do talk about it speak very highly of it. So I was like, okay, like it's one of those hidden gems that once you see it, it's like a 10 out of 10 movie. So I was going and expecting like nothing but greatness. And I wasn't necessarily disappointed. It wasn't a perfect film, but I did have a lot of fun watching it. And I think that's kind of the point. And I do agree that, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very timeless film that holds up so well. And I think that's, again, because of the characters. Because all of us know a Steve. All of us know a Toad. All of us know a John. Like, all of us know a Curtis, but not necessarily with the situations he's been in. Um, and I think yeah. that that's part of what makes this film so great, is how well the characters are written and portrayed,
0: Yeah, and it got 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. I just looked that up. Good. I think it deserves that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely a reasonable rating for this one.
0: And apparently I was Googling some facts about it that Happy Days, uh, like Ron Howard's big show, was not going to happen if it wasn't for American Graffiti. Really? So I thought that was interesting.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Even though his character in Happy Days is way nicer than yeah, in American Graffiti is a dick.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, there's, there's no way that's, like, correlation, but yeah. I'm going to be completely honest, I still haven't so did, seen Happy um, Days.
0: So did, um, so this is our last judgment now. Sorry. I was just going to say, did American Graffiti move you or not? Like, emotionally?
1: Not necessarily. I didn't feel like... It, it wasn't like I was watching, like, Schindler's List or anything. Like, it didn't really have that emotional effect mm-hmm. on me that a lot of other films have. Like,
0: mm-hmm. there's
1: coming-of-age movies that will make me choke up or they will have that effect. Like if you've ever seen mid nineties, that Jonah Hill film, they directed about the kid skateboarding that came out recently. That's one mm-hmm. or a movie called dope. You can find it on Netflix. I highly recommend it. Big underrated gem. Um, but mm-hmm. this didn't necessarily have the emotional mm-hmm. weight that it had so much as it was, about watching these characters get into scenario after scenario after scenario, and just wondering, where is this going to go next? This is awesome. I think the only time I really had any, like, real emotional connection was, I felt a little bit of stress when uh, Curtis got involved with the Pharaohs after he scratched, um, what's his name's car? (laughs) And I was like... His
0: butt scratched their car. Yep, his
1: butt scratched their car. (laughs) And... I was like, I'm I'm nervous but also excited to see the things that they make him do to make up for it instead of just killing him as they said they would. And yeah. definitely the way it played out, especially the sequence with the cop yeah. car, was it definitely, it didn't necessarily have any emotion to it, but there's still some weight to it that I think reflected in a little bit of anxiety. But... Mm-hmm. For the most part, it wasn't so much a moving film as much as it was a great end-of-summer film, as is appropriate since now it's September.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I So there were scenes that really did move me, but I consider this movie, and I don't know if it's just because of COVID, but I've been trying to watch more feel-good films, and I'd say that this is a really good feel-good film. And if you're thinking about a coming-of-age movie that really, like, you know, moves your heart and, like, like, I would say Ladybird would be like that for me, or a different kind of coming of age, like you said, with mid 90s. This one won't, like, make you cry and it won't, you know, be like, oh. But I thought in scenes with Kurt, those really moved me, especially with the white T Bird. And then just moving with laughter with Mackenzie um, or Carol and John, That those were really funny. And Toad.
1: Yeah. In terms of, positive emotion movement yes i would agree this movie definitely had that for me it made me laugh it made me smile it made me feel warm and giggly and all rainbows and sunshine it was a really fun movie um at no point was i sad or crying or like any of that it was just such a good -good feel-good movie and definitely one that i will be talking about and recommending quite frequently
0: yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be recommending this movie. So it's really good. Are there um since this movie does take place all in one day, and I find that really rare in movies, or it kinda just takes place in one night. Are there other movies you like that take place in one day?
1: Uh there are, but none of them are really coming of age movies. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, no, that's okay. It can be any.
1: Yeah, I've there's there's quite a few few like thriller type films that definitely have that feel um one of them I would recommend I'm pretty sure it takes place over one night but it's called Good Time with Robert Pattinson and Ooh. it's directed by the Safdie mm-hmm. brothers who recently did a film that's been getting a ton of buzz last year called Uncut Gems which was like Adam Sandler's return to glory oh yeah yeah so Good Times was their first film and same deal it's so stressful and it just takes these characters and puts them in a situation that goes from bad to just worse as the movie goes on. And it's so hard to sit through, but it is so masterfully done. And it's just such an exercise in tension throughout the film that is done so well. Um, I'm just trying to think of others. I, I know there's more.
0: Yeah, so I thought of um, Rebel Without a Cause, which actually does take place in the 50s because it was filmed in the 50s. And that's with James Dean, and that takes place in one day. And he's basically struggling internally with himself, and he surrounds himself with others. Uh, Natalie Wood and um, this other guy. I don't remember his name, but they all kind of stick together. And that's coming of age. Or I was thinking of, um, you know, everyone knows The Breakfast Club and how that doesn't even take place in a whole day. It's just nine to three. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's like a school day in detention. I love that. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot about Breakfast Club. Um, Another one is obviously Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's one that when looking at a coming of age film everybody turns to because that's one of like the coming of age films like it, it's ferris bueller's day off <laughs> yeah um yeah
0: they go to a freaking parade exactly in in the parade
1: mm-hmm <laughs> god that movie was so good um otherwise I think yeah
0: is my favorite john hughes
1: oh easily easily it's so good it's, Yeah.
0: But I have to say American Graffiti is now my favorite one-day movie.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd have to say so, too. If we're not counting Die Hard, then yeah, maybe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen Die Hard, so I don't know. You've
1: never seen Die Hard? What is wrong with you?
0: No, I know. I know. I want to go into movies, and I've never seen Die Hard.
1: (laughs) Greatest Christmas movie of all time. You have to come
0: on again if I do Die Hard.
1: Absolutely. Any excuse to watch that movie, I'm in. Um, another one I just thought of is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's called 12 Angry Men. Um, oh,
0: yeah. I had to watch it in uh, Mr. Tanabi's class. Yep,
1: yeah. I watched it in... Uh, God, I think it was English... 10 or 11? I think I was in yeah, I Miss Lacamentos' class. I think it was first
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was either Miss yeah. Lacamentos or Miss Gill. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant film. So good. And yeah, over the course of one very long hot day.
0: Yeah. Everyone's sweating like a pig. <laughs> yeah. No air conditioning.
1: Yep. They're opening oh, the windows.
0: Trial of a Boy.
1: Yeah. Ah, brilliant film. That's Highly me, um, recommend. What's
0: his name? Um, Henry Fonda, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That was Henry Fonda. Yeah. Um, who else? Yeah, it was Henry Fonda, uh, Lee J. Cobb, Martin Balsman, um, a couple other people. Unfortunately, I can't remember who. But yeah, that was yeah. maybe my favorite Henry Fonda film. I
0: should rewatch that because when I was watching it, I think when you watch things in a school setting, you just kind of think, oh, this is for school, but I feel like I should rewatch it now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. One of the things I've found is that watching something in school versus watching it in your free time, is just so much more rewarding because in school, it feels like a chore. Whereas when you're watching it on your own, it's very much a choice. So you're like, you're paying attention a whole lot more than you are in school.
0: Do you have anything left you want to say about American Graffiti?
1: Um, no, I think I, I think I got all my thoughts across. I personally, I love this film. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm a hundred percent going to revisit it just to see if there's anything else I can get out of it. But as just a fun movie to just kind of like throw your stuff down when you get home from work and turn the TV on and put on yeah. for a couple hours. It's a good one. Yeah.
0: I just gotta say, I think Richard Dreyfuss has the best tabs on the best summer movies. I mean, he has Jaws, he has this, and he has Stand by Me. I, I, I think he just has the best summer movies any actor could ever have. Yep,
1: yeah, like you can't miss. Like that's no, he <laughs> really and pulled through. Close Encounters. Really <laughs> yeah,
0: I think Jaws is like the most watchable film for. Me.
1: Oh, I've seen Jaws too many times to count. Like, I've probably wasted a couple of years of my life just watching that movie <laughs> so many times. Yeah.
0: You can start it at any time, and I feel like you could do that with this movie. And it's not just because of his presence in both, it's just the stories are so good.
1: And yeah, just like the use of music was so brilliant, yeah. and it's. It, oh, I love it. I love this movie.
0: We gotta go download the soundtrack now. Oh, hundred so percent. Go download the soundtrack.
1: Yep, download the soundtrack. If you haven't watched the movie, do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it was a pleasure to have you on the show, Jamal. It I hope was, you can come back again. It
1: was my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I look forward to the next time I'm on.
0: And thank you for listening.